morning, Cornerstone. Let's uh, go into today's scripture reading. My name is Jonathan, and I will be uh, leading us. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 17. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring, not, bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first roots to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the tra traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. God bless the reading of his word. Good morning, Cornerstone. Can you hear me? Thank you. We are one church, three congregations, and five ministries. This morning, uh, Paul Seal preached in the Cantonese service, and I now preach in the English service. We are interdependent. We are not independent. And we are not dependent, but interdependent. Three congregations plus the youth ministry and the children ministry, five ministries, one church, multi-generational, and plus the CCUJ meeting Sunday afternoon in this place. We are multi-ethnic. As our theme this year, break down the barriers and remove the hindrance, the obstacles in our heart so that we can be one in Christ. I uh, thank Pastor Jeff for inviting me to speak here and share Pastor Paul and Pastor Jeff occasionally would come to the Cantonese service. We are one church. My hope 
And prayer is one day the English congregation will grow up and become the dominant congregation of our church as the Mandarin and especially Cantonese congregation are growing older. Soon you will be serving us as we may be walking in canes and then we need people to help us to move around. Um, Today I will be I'm sharing from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Preparing for Christ's return. The picture you see. How can we go back? Yeah. As an event, 1978, November 18, a false prophet or cult leader, Jim Jones, led more than 900 men, women, and children to their death in a mass suicide by drinking fruit punch mixed with poisonous cyanide. One third of those who died were children. What you see in the picture is not garbage, but human bodies, which was known as the infamous Jonestown Massacre. Jim Jones was a notorious cult leader. He was ordained as a Christian minister in the independent assemblies of God. But he gradually abused his power and rejected traditional Christianity. He studied the writings of political leaders like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, Mozart Tong, and Mahatma Gandhi. Later he promoted a form of communism called apostolic socialism forcing his followers to sell their properties, offer them to his church, and live together in a community. As the self-proclaimed Messiah, the Christ, the leader of the cult, the People's Temple, Jim Jones promises followers utopia or heaven if they follow him. He exercised very strict control over his followers, forbidding them of marital affairs. But he himself committed adultery, sexual relationship with women, and homosexual relationship with other men. And in an article entitled On Satan and Jonestown, Billy Graham argued that Jim Jones was demonically possessed it was so sad that hundreds of people died because they were led astray, believed in this evil cult, ended their life tragically. The Bible warns us that before Christ's second coming, there are signs, wars, and rumors of wars like what's happening in Ukraine. And there are earthquakes like what just happened two months ago in Turkey and Syria, and we're offering donation to help them out. And there are also great deception, false teachers claiming to teach God's word, but in fact they are deceiving people. They preach lies 
instead of truths. And many people follow them into eternal destruction. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul teaches us how to prepare for Christ's second coming. First is to reject deception. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by his spirit or by his spoken word or a letter seemingly to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Paul wrote two letters to the Thessalonian Christians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which we are studying in these few weeks, telling them that Jesus Christ has offended, ascended to heaven and he will come back again soon. And all the Christians would be, would be caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus in air, as in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4. And we will be with the Lord forever. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more COVID, no more death. We will live in a new heaven, in a new earth, in a new Jerusalem, happily ever after. And life can never be better. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a Dominant theme throughout the Bible, and many people have been trying to predict or calculate the exact date, but none of them got it right. And Jesus told his disciples that nobody knew and nobody know now when that day will be only God the Father knows. Verse 2 shows us that probably someone wrote a letter using Paul's name, saying that Jesus has already come back. So this false news caused some disturbance in the Thessalonian church. Some people were shaken in mind and alarmed by this false news. While some people were probably unhappy uh, with their lives, they were disappointed with their marriage, or they didn't like their job, long hours, low pay, and life was painful to them, so they want to run away, to escape to a different world. And then there are other people who reason that if Jesus Christ was coming back within weeks or months, then why should I be working in this low-paying, boring job or why should I be studying in this school, this class, with those boring teachers? Then they become lazy, laid back. They're dependent on other Christians to feed them. They don't study. They don't go to school anymore. They become a burden to others and to the church. They become troublemakers and busybodies. There were still others who were very alarmed at the news that Christ has already come because they remember Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 24 that two men will be working in a field, one will be taken 
up and the other left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other one left behind. So they were worried. Am I the one left behind? They worried if they have missed the rapture, if they have lost their salvation, they were alarmed. So Paul reminded those Christians, do not easily believe those false teachings, not to be tempted easily, and do not panic. In verse 3, he said, let no one deceive you in any way. It was said that over 900 people were deceived by the cult leader, Jim Jones, lost their physical lives and probably eternal lives. And many cult leaders continue to deceive people even today. But the Bible tells us that there is something must happen first before Christ will come back again. Verse 3, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exhausts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, not cornerstone, seat, proclaiming himself to be God. Apostle Paul corrected the mistake of these false teachings. He pointed out that before Christ returns, there will be certain events. What events? The rebellion and the man of lawlessness which also is the, the son of destruction, will come first. Rebellions must come first before Christ's return. Rebellion means falling away, apostasy, a revolt, a departure, and abandoning of our loyalty to God. The rebellion will happen from in the church, not outside. The church will become so worldly that she rebel against God. Another event must come before the return of Christ is the debut or the first appearance of the man of lawlessness. It's also called son of destruction. The Bible message describes this person as a real dog of Satan. He is strong, he is powerful, he is a genius, and all the leaders of the world will one day give their authorities and be united with this man of lawlessness, submit to him as a one-world government leader. He will challenge Christ. He will take over every so-called God or altar. He will clear away all the oppositions. 
Then he will set himself up in God's temple as God Almighty. He asks people to worship him, replacing Christ. There's an official website, public, the website of the Church of Satan. Satan takes on Jesus Christ one-on-one, has an arm-wrestling competition. This is a battle for worship, asking people to worship the man of lawlessness, but behind him is Satan. Battle for worship against Christ. Satan sends the man of lawlessness to compete, to challenge Christ. Although this man of lawlessness, this son of destruction, is very dangerous and powerful, however, he is held back. Like a roaring lion ready to devour the helpless victims. But the lion is restrained by a chain. Verse 6, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time sometime in the future. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. The Bible does not say what or who is restraining him. Some scholars say it is the church restraining the man of lawlessness. Others say it is the Holy Spirit. No matter what explanation, interpretation, the important thing is that the man of lawlessness is being held back. God restrains the devil with with a restraining order like what is happening nowadays in family court. Satan can only do what God allows. For example, God allows Satan to take away the righteous man, Job's wealth, children, health. But God does not permit the devil, Satan, to take away Job's life. Satan is being held back. Likely, likewise, the man of lawlessness is being restrained. And in the book of Revelations, it talks about the man of lawlessness in a different term called the Antichrist 666. This is a number. He has not yet appeared. Before the return of Christ, Antichrist will become the world leader for a period of time. But later on, very soon, he will be defeated defeated by Christ, verse 8. And then the Lord's one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill. Not with bullet, bomb, missile, 
the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The word that comes from the mouth of Jesus is and has been powerful. The words of Jesus could calm the storm, could drive out evil spirits, and in Revelation chapter 19, they prophesied that Jesus is, will be riding a right horse and a sword that comes out of his mouth, the word, will strike down the nations. When Jesus comes a second time, he will no longer be the helpless baby lying in a manger or a victim crucified on the cross. When he comes a second time, he will be the king of kings and the lord of lords, the glorious judge. And his glory will destroy with one breath the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. Notice that the man of lawlessness is not an angel, not Satan. He's only a man, a human being. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Where does this powerful leader get his power? To perform all the counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. It's from Satan, from the devil. He is empowered by Satan. But he's only Satan's pawn, just like playing chess. You push the pawn. He's doing the work of the devil. This man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, attracted many people to follow him, deceived by his false lies. And the question is, what kind of people would be deceived by him? There are certain people. Verse 10 those people, they refused to love the truth. Verse 11, those people who believe what is false is by choice. Verse 12, those people who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Many people in the world belong to these categories. They do not believe the truth of God, not because they have low IQ or they fail their SAT or because they're stupid. Many of them actually have PhD, multiple PhD, even could be from Harvard. But they reject the truth of God and believe the lies of Satan and the men of lawlessness. Why? Because believing the truth requires them to repent of their sins and turn to God. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
they love the pleasure of sin so that we refuse to believe the truth. That's why they were deceived. How do we prepare for Christ's return? Second point, stand firm in the faith. Thirteen, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers loved, beloved by God, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruit to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. When you see the word traditions, in verse 15, it means the teachings of the apostles, not human or Jewish traditions like the rigid Sabbath traditions. For example, you cannot operate any machine, drive a car on Sabbath. If you visit a hospital or go to a certain building, you cannot push a button on the elevator. Or on Sabbath, you cannot cook. You can only pre-make your meal the day before. On Sabbath, you can only walk and worship in the synagogue. That's human tradition. Here, it's talking about the teachings of the apostles. We are to stand firm and hold to the teachings of the apostles. Those are the true Bible teachers, unlike Couches like Jim Jones. Hold on to the word of God. How? Through your daily devotions, the pastor's preaching, the 10 o'clock adult Bible class, or even life group, which can help you to stand firm and hold on, hold to the truths I was glad to join the Powell last Sunday with the Life Group facilitators to do an inductive Bible study together. I think I might still have, yeah, this sheet. If you ever received one of these inductive Bible study three columns to observe the text, interpret what's written, apply to your lives. You ask questions and then find answers directly from the Bible, not merely listening to the preachers. You need to discern, to study, to dig deep in God's word, and to test whether the preacher is preaching the truth or like some cultist leaders, false teachers teaching lies. What are the key teachings that we must hold on, hold a firm grip on? Verse 13 says, God chose us 
God chose us to be saved. We are chosen by God. We do not choose God. Well, from God's perspective, He chose us. We respond. It is not that we choose Christianity from among many religions. Not because we are smart, we are discerning, we're intelligent, and we make the best choice from among Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, Guan Yin, and Jesus Christ. And we pick the right choice, Jesus. No, the Bible says God chose us. When? Not because on the day you raise your hand, you walk down the aisle to the altar or a Billy Graham crusade to receive Jesus Christ as a Lord, or the day you were baptized. Not so late. God chose us even before we knew Jesus, before we heard the gospel. Before we were born, when God has created the heavens and the earth, God predestined us. He has chosen us to be his children. And then we believe. After God has chosen us, we believe in the truth. Well, beyond justification by faith, God also sanctifies us. Verse 13, through sanctification by the Spirit. That means to set apart from sin and set apart for God. The man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, deceives in non-believers that Sin is a clever trick. Stealing, bribing is smart. Homosexuals and transgender people are the freest people. They have no restriction. But actually, they are enslaved by sin. They are deceived by Satan. Standing firm in the faith includes living a holy life But that does not rely on our own strength, but rely on the Holy Spirit through sanctification by the Spirit. Although sometimes we stumble and fall and sin occasionally, maybe sometimes a couple more times, but because of the Holy Spirit, we will be convicted. He will warn us and encourage us and comfort us to live a holy life. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We will gradually become more and more holy, more and more like Christ, set apart from the world, set apart for God, more like Jesus. Sanctification. Satan constantly accuses us of our wrongdoings and deceives us that 
our sins are unforgivable. Therefore, some believer, believers are constantly feeling guilty, saying, doom to me, I have stumbled, I have sinned against heaven and God again, again, and again. I don't even live like Christians, so I might as well quit, disappear. I'm not worthy to be a child of God like the prodigal son. I'm too shameful even to come back to my father's house to meet God again. Many Christians will be so weak and tempted to give up, to depart from God, and dare not return to church. But we need to learn from the prodigal son that one day he was suddenly awakened. That his father is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. Just like the song we sang this morning, Jesus, you are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. You remember the song we sang. Because God has chosen us and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, making us more like Christ, so do not give up. Stand firm in the faith. Not only God has chosen us to be saved and called us, he also called us to what? To obtain glory. He called us to his wisdom own glory. We can share the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have many young adults and teenagers in the audience. Do not live for money. Do not live for your boss, but live for the glory of Jesus Christ. We may not have halos on our head, but one day when Christ returns, he will transform our mortal bodies into glorious bodies, just as his own glorious body. Those who serve Jesus Christ on earth faithfully will receive crowns of righteousness. God has called you to glory. And how to prepare for Christ's return? Third, Seek comfort. Seek God for comfort. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal hope, eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. When you stand firm in the faith, oftentimes the world will reject you, ridicule you, laugh at you, even persecute you. The devil will tempt you. Where do we find comfort, security, peace, 
seek God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Don't seek false sense of security. Don't seek comfort food like junk food, watching TV overnight. It only gives you a short, quick comfort, and then you gain weight, and then you waste all your energy. It slows you down. Don't get drunk with alcohol. Don't take drugs to get high. It only numbs your feelings for a little while. Seek comfort from God. Pray. Spend time in His Word. Fellowship with other believers. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint. I love the message Bible by Eugene Peterson, a contemporary paraphrase that brings the meaning of the Bible to contemporary life. It says, May Jesus himself in God our Father, who reach out in love and surprise you with gifts of unending help and confidence, put a fresh heart in you, invigorate your work and living, your speech. This is like what the cornerstones sometimes do to those who are sick or who had a surgery, had to stay home to recover. And then some cornerstone secret angels would set up meal train and reach out to you and they surprise you, put good gifts and food at your door like kanji, beef, noodle soup, chicken soup. They, those are unending help. They may leave you a card encouraging you and give you confidence. And in the fruit basket, you will see names. But those are secret angels actually sent of Jesus Christ and God the Father with love. Then you are encouraged, you are strengthened to serve God again. Even though you may be you may be stuck at home, you're not, able, you're not able to drive, but you can still participate in life group. You can send text messages, email to encourage others who might also be lonely or sick, like you, discouraged at home. This is how God strengthens you, establish you to continue in good work, and in good word, how to prepare for Christ's return. Reject deception. Stand firm in the faith. Seek God for comfort. Then you can finish well. A, goal, a golf star champion usually has an assistant to hold a heavy big bag of clubs for him called caddy. Bruce Edwards, the younger guy, has been a professional uh, caddy helping the golfer, Tom Watson. He's a close friend to him since 19 years old. On the morning of 2003, U.S. Open, 
Bruce Edwards stood in front of the mirror, carefully arranged his clothes, and in this left golf game, he would try his best to help his boss. Bruce had never won any trophies. He wasn't a golf player, but only an assistant to Watson over 30 years. Bruce is hardworking, well-dressed, and never late. He not only knows the terrain in the whole positions of each game well, but also encourages his boss, Watson. At times that Watson may be discouraged and suffer some setback. Bruce is more than a right-hand man, but also a best friend and indispensable spiritual pillar to Watson. Six months before the Watson participated in the UF golf tournament, Bruce was diagnosed with a rare disease, Lou Gehrig disease, and would gradually lose his physical activity. It was getting worse and worse. And he knew that he still had an important last task. In order to help Watson to complete the game smoothly, Bruce lifted up his spirits, gathered all his strength for the 18 holes, and then when Watson was leading, all the opponents advanced to the last shot, and the little boy, top, getting to the hole, and Watson become the champion. And the audience cheered. And Bruce couldn't help smiling, saying that this is the happiest, happiest thing in my life, that I can work with Watson and be his assistant. Today is an exciting day, and I am proud that my mission is accomplished. Bruce devoted the best 30 years of his life to his boss, Watson. After countless games and many victories, Bruce fought a courageous battle with Lugaric disease, muscular dystrophy, for 14 months. At the age of 49, in 2004, April, he finished well. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Every day is an opportunity for you to serve God. You can glorify God in your company, in your factory, at your job, in your school. You can do your best every day and until the last day of your life. And then at Christ's return, he will reward you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Finish well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, may the Spirit continue to speak to us. Help us to prepare well for the return of Christ. 
In Jesus' name, amen.